Engine Cutoff. I am Anthony Colangelo, and we've got a very, very fun podcast today talking with Mike Laux, who is the CEO, and John Carrico, who is the CTO of Space Exploration Engineering. They do all sorts of interesting work, uh, a lot around the trajectory design and mission planning uh, in cooperation with a bunch of different mission teams and companies around the world. They've flown a lot of things to and by the moon uh, or out near the moon. A lot of very interesting uh, trajectories that they've worked on. Specifically, they worked on uh, the capstone mission on the Rocket Lab photon side of the trajectory planning. Uh, the day that we're recording this, uh, just a couple hours from now, they have uh, a hand in the mission that's heading to the moon from uh, or a South Korean mission. It's on top of Falcon 9, but that's the Korean Pathfinder Lunar Orbiter. Uh, and a bunch of historical ones as well, which I'm sure we will talk about. So I'm really interested to talk with them especially in this day and age where we are looking at upcoming missions to the moon as part of the Commercial Lunar Payload Services program, uh, to talk to them about how to get to the moon effectively, how a team like SEE works with mission teams and other companies uh, in the industry, why that kind of niche exists, and uh, to dive into some of the nerdy details of different trajectories to get to the moon, uh, because there's a lot of ways to get to the moon these days with all the commercial launches available uh, and trying to figure out which is the best one for your mission is a really interesting problem to solve and something that they do a lot of writing and thinking about and coaching on. So going to be a very cool conversation with them. So without further ado, let's give them a call. All right. We are here with John and Mike from Space Exploration Engineering. I should have also, I probably wouldn't have said this in the intro because I would forget about it when I go to do the intro. Uh, everyone here is the astrogators at SEE in the executive producer segment. And you, this is them. They're, we're talking to them sure. right now. So, yep. uh, but they did not pay to be on the show here. We just were chatting a lot over the past several months, and uh, turns out y'all are up to some really interesting stuff uh, right now. So, um, let's start. So everyone has context. Uh, just go through who you two are, what you do at SEE, and, uh, and then we'll get into the company and some more specific missions. So, Mike, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um- yeah, SEE was originally a company that I founded back in 1995, and it was uh, me and another guy, a gentleman named Brent Hellickson, and uh, we were orbital sciences employees in Boulder, Colorado, um, and uh, Boulder uh, OSC had an office out there, um, and uh, at, at, they were working on Orbcom and a bunch of other things. It was a, a kind of a they bought a company out there, and they had a, an office that was working on a bunch of different projects. The main office, of course, was in Dulles and out on the East Coast, and they had made some acquisitions and stuff, and they were moving things around. They decided to close the Boulder office, um, and when they did that, uh, Brent and I were in the middle of working on a program that was called Sea Star at the time, or Orbu Two. And, um, and so we just hired back as consultants to finish that and we formed a company to do it and it was, you know, instant business and it, cause they, they laid us off and closed that office. And so we just said, Oh, we're going to form a company. Um, and, uh, Hey, you got these desks and computers and all these things you got nothing to do with. Maybe you should just give us some of those. And so we, we just made a laundry list of stuff and just, just I thought, well, we'll just ask, you know, and, and see if they can say no. And, but they didn't. They said, yeah, take it. And so we took a bunch of stuff and got filing cabinets and desks and all this stuff. And, and you know, instant- Things that were useful in 1995. I mean, we had, we had brand new computers, actually, at the time. And, um, and, and you know, they were like 40, 46s or something. Now they're Pentiums. The Pentiums had just come out. And, and, uh, we, and so they were brand new. And, and then we had desks and, you know filing cabinets and software and all this. So we just, you know, we just asked for it and they gave us the stuff because they were going to go stick it in a warehouse somewhere if, if we didn't take it. Um, and so we started working. Um, I had I had met John um, a couple years before that when I was in graduate school at the University of Colorado. 
and uh, and he was out at Goddard, and I'll let him fill that in later. But but I, I had met him; he'd come out to to uh, to see you and and had demoed some software and stuff for us for some folks from Goddard Space Flight Center. So I knew John from there. Um, as we started doing work in '95 as SEE later on, um, I I ran into John again when he was at uh, at AGI, uh, Analytical Graphics Incorporated, that was in oh, where the heck we were. It was at Exton at the time, John. Yeah, out in my hood. Yeah, yeah, out in that yep. general vicinity, but um, it was Malvern. King of Prussia, Malvern, and yeah, Exton, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. we're getting real well, local on the right. today. Yeah. That's right. And so I, I ran into AGI out there because um, I had some of my own orbital mechanics code and stuff that I was using that we used on C-Star, but uh, AGI had graphics and other things, and there was, you know, they were better programmers than we were. And so I kind of came across them and, and, uh, and, and, you know, started working with them, uh, got introduced to Paul Graziani, uh, the CEO at the time, and who just retired, was it, I think last year or, um, but, um, you know, got working with them and ran into John there and started working and our company just kind of went along, you know, over time, um, Brent got out of the business in, in 2002 and I, I moved from Colorado where I was up to Washington state and, um, and still continued to work with John when he was at AGI. And then eventually John left. Um, you know, and I, I, SE at that point was just me. John left uh, AGI in 2006, I believe, and went to work for a company called uh, Applied Defense Solutions, ADS, out of, in Maryland. And I continued to work with him there. And we started working together on projects. Um, you know, I had a bunch of different other things that I did. But, um, you know, I started working with John specifically on IBEX in 2006. And IBEX was a interstellar, interstellar boundary explorer. Um, that uh, is still alive and, and functioning and kicking and all that in a large um, orbit. Um, what is it, John? Is it eight, eight uh, days? Uh, yeah, three to one lunar resonant orbit. Yeah, now. Yeah, 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 three to one lunar resonant orbit. So John and I worked on that together with actually with Lisa Policastri and several other folks that are now within our company. But um, So I started working with Lisa and John on that. Lisa also was um, was former AGI and at ADS at the time. And then, you know, when we when IBEX flew right after that, we got involved in the LADI project, which was a, a lunar orbiter out of NASA Ames that launched in 2013. But we started working that right as IBEX was flying. That the initial stages of that mission went on, and so we we had a team of people at, at Ames that flew that mission, and and uh, a lot of those folks are actually in SEE right now. They kind of went to different places, and then went to ADS, and some other folks went to Google and came back, and there was a bunch of that. But we were all kind of working together on different projects. Um, and, uh, and then, in, uh, we kept talking about wanting to work together as a, as a, you know, in one company, but, uh, that didn't really start happening until 2016 or 2017. I started, I started u- using them as con- John and, and Lisa as consultants to SEE. And then we eventually decided, Hey, let's just reincorporate the company and have the four of us, John, myself, Lisa, and Lisa Hawkins, um, formed the company in, I think 2018. And then from there, we've hired a bunch of people, and there's 16 of us now. But there, we're, you know, we we do a lot of different things. We we're we're uh, orbital mechanics and navigation folks. We've been involved in a bunch of different missions and have you know whole, any number of things working all going on at the same time. But um, I, you know, I met John in '92. I think we decided I I met you before I met my wife, but it's close. <laughs> it's with, it's right. within, it's so John six took longer months. to convince. Is that what happened? No, no, no. Yeah. no I worked started work with him right away. I, I I met my wife in in August of of '92, and I think I met John in like February or something of the same year. Yeah, I was working as a contractor at NASA Goddard, and we um, I was in the flight dynamics group. But one of the things I was in charge of was getting the trajectory design software off of these things called mainframes you may have heard about in the history books. Yeah. I was we're, like one, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, 
porting. Yeah. We ported uh, a lot of the software to the PC, and then um, and I met Mike when uh, um, the, some flight dynamics folks at NASA Goddard got in, invited to go present at CU. So I, Mike actually helped. I have a fax where he's helping us find a hotel and everything. Yeah. So that was the beginning of our relationship. That's right. But then um, I had uh, I was in charge of this program called Swing By, which we used. My first mission operationally was the Clementine mission to the moon. So you, I was also in charge of the software, but also worked on the flight dynamics for that. And then um, and then we commercialized that. I was with a company called Computer Sciences Corporation. We commercialized that. We eventually sold that to Analytical Graphics, and then I got sold to Analytical Graphics as well. <laughs> and we renamed it Astrogator. They traded you uh, for a couple of draft picks or something. Or they how, they how did. And then Mike and I, as Mike mentioned, we started working uh, together on all these different things. Um, and um, so we, you know, we do trajectory design and maneuver planning and orbit determination. And so we've been doing that forever on all these missions on L cross and uh, Laddie on, like Mike mentioned, Ibex. Um, and when we finally reformed the company, we started supporting uh, um, South Korea, the um, Korean Aerospace Research Institute, uh, the Korean uh, Pathfinder Lunar, Lunar Orbiter, which is going up as we talk, uh, going up today. Yeah. So on August fourth. So that's very exciting. And um, and we worked with Space IL on the Bear Sheet mission. We helped them with that's operations. Right. And kind of our business model is to help other people learn how to fly satellites. We. That's right. You know, we like to find people that want to fly something. They hire some people to be flight dynamics people, whether they know how to do it or not. And then we train them how to do that. And then you okay. always need extra people in operations. So we do surge support. So one of the most recent ones we just got back from was um, doing the photon part of the capstone mission for Rocket Lab. So we can talk more about that. But Mike and I were, and um, Ryan LeBlanc, we were down in New Zealand and um, Elisa Hawkins was uh, remote back here um, in the United States. And that was very exciting, and then we uh, pushed Capstone off on a translunar injection to their weak stability boundary ballistic lunar transfer trajectory. So that was really, really cool. Yeah. And then, yeah. um, and KPLO is about to go on the same thing. Right. Uh, another yeah, different, different, different reasons why they're why they're both using the BLT, but they're both using it, and, and interesting histories behind those things. But um, yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the Rocket Lab is is sort of a, um, a a really good example of of how we work with our customers, rather than um, you know going in and, and and being in charge of the flight dynamics. Their guys, their their GNC team down in Auckland was in charge, and we trained those folks and got them up to speed of how we did things. And we work with AGI a lot still, so AGI software was involved and brought in, and we we showed them how we would do this kind of a mission, how we'd set it up in the software and that kind of thing. And then their guys were in charge, we and, and we we filled in as part of that team. So there was a team of of six flight dynamics folks down there, and we were part of those part of that team. And then we had support back in the U.S. as well with people that weren't on site. But um, you know that and, and the same things happening now with with KPLO. They their their folks are flying it, and these folks are great friends of ours we've been working with for six or seven years now um you know they're in charge and and they're they have their own software that's kind of wrapped around the sdk and odk products that their flight dynamics software but we have two folks out there now that are that are part of that team craig nickel and tiffany finley are out there supporting them and then when they get closer to the moon two more of our folks will go out in december and be there when they do loi to support them and make sure that if any contingencies are what happen that we're there to help them but um so i want to dig into this for a little bit because i think it is 
from an outside perspective, it's it's um, maybe surprising to know that there's, uh, <laughs> you know, if you look at like what a space mission needs, trajectory is pretty high up in the list of importance. And uh, yeah. I think it, for outsiders, it's interesting that it's not, you know, people within a company that are that are doing that primary job. Like why? Why don't those roles exist to the extent that they need to within any particular organization or mission team? And why is well, it that and, there's yeah, outside and, experts like yourself well, to and come the, and help? And, and they want, I mean, the companies want to have that typically, at least our customers, you know, and, and that's sort of the niche market for us is the companies that we go to, or even in the case of NASA in 2013, the, the team at NASA Ames, they didn't have a flight dynamics team there on site. Goddard Space Flight Center does that all the time. And JPL does that all the time. And they have standing armies, if you will, of people that are great at do all those things that are experts. And those are our friends and we know those people. And um, eventually you convince them to come work. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, some, that sometimes <laughs> happens. Have You're collecting them from all these Yeah, that does actually happen. Yeah, we, we, we have had that happen. where we, we, we don't typically try to hire them directly with when we're working with the people because our customers get cranky about that. But they do yeah. end up you know, in, in a, take, taking routes that end up with us. We have a, a Stephen uh, West that's with us now that was at Ames and then went to Goddard and then left Goddard and came to work for us. When we were working with Ames, we wouldn't have tried to take him because that would have been, you know, they would have got cranky at us for that. But, but when he left and then went to God and wanted to leave then you know then he talked to us on his own and that was different but um yeah the, so it's just organization lot. type like some some places build up this team internally and some don't yet have the resources or, or maybe they're but, a new well, company. and it's all it's a whole spectrum of that and you know you, if you talk about like the clips teams or or space il or kari the international folks that we've worked with you know they had folks there that have flown missions but not not deep space lunar missions and then the like at space il there was a whole group there that were really experienced flight dynamics folks that had done a lot of geo missions and were really sharp, you know, graybeard folks that really knew their stuff. They hadn't done lunar missions. And so we kind of came in and showed them a little bit how to do that. And then they ran with it and they were, they were really top notch and we, you know, we support them. And with, with, with Kari, same kind of thing, um, you know, that they had flight dynamics folks there that had done other types of missions, but not lunar missions. And, um, and the other thing is, is, you know, you don't launch a lunar mission every day. You might be launching one every couple of years. How That's many right. people do you need in your company the whole time? You, honestly, I think you need two. I think you need at least two flight dynamics people. When it goes to launch, two people aren't going to do 24-7 ops for three weeks, right? Well, and, and, and lunar missions really require that. So we do surge support. You know, they're our right. friends. We like to do operations. So they can have two people. And when you get closer to launch, you know, we show up and, you know, hang out with them. and. Uh, shifts, so yeah, yeah. yeah, and you have yeah. all that. I mean, you mentioned some of the missions that you've worked on, and uh, it. I think the the expertise that you bring is notable with missions like Bearsheet, where things didn't go as planned, and you probably had some insight as to like, okay, this is going on. Maybe we should look into X, Y, or Z, or maybe this. You exactly. know, we've seen this before. We did X, Y. So, like the yeah, historical yeah. perspective that you bring, having worked, you mentioned Clementine John that you worked on was in the nineties, right? I feel right, right. right. people forget yeah. that we sent some stuff to the moon in the nineties. Yeah. Like yeah, Mars is getting all the hype at that time, right? But that's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, that Clementine was was fascinating. And that was an interesting one because we were working with the Naval Research Laboratory. We I was on contract under NASA Goddard. So we, we already had kind of this whole thing where Goddard was training the folks at Naval Research Lab. You know, so that was kind of that same pattern because we were trying to hand that over. And they finally, when we got to the moon, Naval Research Lab did take that over. Um, and, you know, our main job was in low Earth orbit and getting them to the moon and then all the upfront trajectory design. But it's, um, it's a really fun collaborative environment. The cool thing now is that commercial companies are doing this. 
So like the Fraca Lab, that's a commercial company that did the TLI. So that was super exciting what the Photon can do. And Bearsheet was a commercial company. And now we support some of the CLIPS missions and we've worked on HLS. And it's really fun to see that, you know, the government kind of figured out how to do this. NASA, you know, has, as Mike mentioned, has gray beards and, and uh, people without beards as well, doing all this stuff. And now that technology is available commercially. Um, like I said, the software that I worked on was originally NASA Goddard software. We got the commercialization license and that's now uh, commercial software. Right. So it, it's, it's been exciting to see it used to take armies of folks and now it can, can be kind of like these lean teams. Well, and, and the thing that you mentioned too about these teams not necessarily having that, I mean, that's been like a theme throughout my career that companies will be starting up. They're like, hey, we need to have a flight dynamics group, might be Eclipse team or whatever. But I remember even back into the 90s, uh, Jim Benson at Space Dev, which is now uh, Sierra Nevada. I think they were absorbed into that. And I think his, I think Dream Chaser was actually from, from Jim. But he was like trying to do a commercial asteroid mission and, and uh, you know, really wanted to do that pioneer kind of stuff, but, you know, couldn't quite get the funding for it. And, and uh, was like, well, I need you to come work for me. I'm like, right, but you're not flying missions yet. And so if I come work for you, I won't have anything to do most of the time. I'll be sweeping the floors or doing other things, and I won't even be as good at what I do because one of the reasons that I'm good at what I do is because I do it all the time. And so I got different customers coming all the time asking me to do things and proposals and all this. And so you you know you keep fluent and with the mm -hmm. software and yeah, with the your skill techniques. would atrophy by the yeah, time. Absolutely, that you and, come and so that it. was always the dilemma. It's like, well, we want to hire you. I'm like, yeah, you don't. I mean, I, you know, you really don't because I you know you don't need me until you actually fly stuff. Now, if you get to the point where you're flying stuff every other month, okay. You know, now, now you got to have somebody like me. But, you know, on the Clips teams that we have, different, you know, they come from different places. Uh, you know, some of them will already have folks there. Some of them come and bring us on. They got nobody. And they're like, well, we got to hire people. So we're like, okay. So, you know, we, we've been through this enough times and we can tell them, well, once you hire the people, they got to have these skill sets at the end. How are we going to get from here to there? And so we'll, we got, we do training and co coaching. We use that word a lot, and I think it's I think it's apt. I think it's a good model for what we do. You know, sometimes we're player coaches a little bit when we have to go in for ops, but a lot of times we're just showing them how we do stuff, how we set things up in the software, and how the software is, can, can be used to do this, and kind of teach them through all that. And Rocket Lab was a great example of that. You know, there's a company that 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 had flown rockets. I mean, and they had people there that were you know, GNC folks for rockets. But what do rockets do? You launch them. It's a, it's a sequencer from the ground. Everything is pre-planned on the ground. Nobody's commanding anything or tracking anything. It just goes up and does its thing, and you know, and, and then it's done. Well, if you got to go up into orbit and you got to take GPS data and, and then you got to do orbit determination with that and you got to plan maneuvers and do all those things, that's all different than what they've done. So they're smart folks, and we can teach them those things, but they haven't done it. And so, and, and, and then they can start to hire people to do those things. And we're well. on a, a phase two SPIR where we're doing the same thing for the Space Force. We're just taking the, the materials that we've done, putting it in terms of, of an analytical framework, as it were, but giving them tools and training materials so they can teach their folks how to analyze and, and uh, monitor and fly cis lunar missions. Because it's, it's a body of knowledge that just isn't really taught in courses yet. It's right. still kind of a you know, kind of an apprentice relationship. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had strong mentors when I was at Goddard. Mike had mentors. We learned it. We're passing it on to other folks. Right. right. But there's yeah. probably more people that forgot how to do that than actually do that today. Like the <laughs> amount of, right, just if you look at the, yeah. the bulk of lunar missions in history, 
there were more people that used to know how to do this than yeah. even currently exist that know how yeah, to do it. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, and obviously when the Apollo missions were, fl- were flying and stuff, there was a whole, you know, boatload of knowledge there that, that oh, yeah. uh, you know, that disappeared and because you know, we didn't fly stuff after that. But some yeah, of those well, guys I, that software we developed at Goddard, um, you know, my boss and mentor, um, Lem Hooper, he he said he wanted to make the software he wished that he had when he was flying Apollo. And so that's at Goddard. We that's the software we built, and then, like I mentioned, commercialized and we use today. That's a cool so, lineage, yeah. 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 So let's talk about some of these weird trajectories because they are pretty weird. I've seen you've got all sorts of different diagrams. I, I put up a blog post. I think it was a blog post, Mike, that you wrote uh, a couple of weeks ago or after uh, Capstone was on its way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that Capstone and KPLO have different reasons for using this ballistic lunar trajectory transfer. Or I sure. forget how do you. There's a whole name that John can yeah, well, rattle off. Yeah. Well, can you explain names. what it is first? There's two Maybe. different well, names. Okay. Two different, it used to be called two. the weak stability boundary. Okay. Well, uh, some people still call it. Yeah, yeah. There, some people a, still call a, it that. Yeah, there's a group of people that call it the weak stability boundary, and and there's a group of people at JPL that call it ballistic lunar transfer, and there's a kind of a yeah, there's a whole history of that that we don't want to go into here where a gentleman left JPL and used a particular set of phrasing. JPL was cranky at him. They didn't mm. want to use his phrasing. And so there's politics behind who uses so what phrasing. it's only a ballistic lunar transfer if it was made at JPL? Is that how <laughs> well, it works? It's like well, champagne, but uh, <laughs> trajectories? A, no, I mean, you know, like like Jeff Parker, our, our great friend at Advanced Space, he was at JPL for a while. And he, you know, he likes BLT. And I, I don't know if he came up with that phrase while he was at JPL or not, but but uh, he likes it because he likes the BLT sandwich. And I was going to say, he came up while eating yeah. lunch in the that's cafe. Right, yeah. well, he, also he because they used to be pork chop plots. They, <laughs> that's they right. Yeah, that, pork chop plots. And so right. yeah, it had to be a food-driven culture But Jeff will say BLT. And then there's another gentleman, that, uh, Ed Bill Bruno, that, that used to be at JPL years ago and left. And, and he's not at all on great terms with everybody. And he, he called it a WSB and, and claimed you know intellectual property ownership of it and some other things. So you know, there's a whole history of of that kind of stuff that went on. And so we call people... it WSB slash BLT. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. And there's literature from Ed that where he talks about it back in the nineties or in probably earlier than that. And he talks about it being a, a weak stability boundary. Yeah. And, and that, I think that was his phrase. And then the other folks, you know, Jeff and those folks will, will use BLT. And then our folks, our, our friends in, in Korea, I think, uh, I think they they know it as a WSB. So if we say BLT, that confuses them. So sometimes we use both things. But but ballistic okay. lunar transfer or weak stability boundary transfer yeah. are really the same thing in the context of how we're using yeah. them here anyway. Um, yeah, and, the, and Kari, Kari, we've been working with Kari for a while, and we've been working with him, what, Mike, since 2016 or something. Yeah, and, 2015, um, like, yeah. 2015. And, you know, they look at other transfers. They look at... Uh, direct transfers and phasing loop transfers to the moon, which we're big advocates, but this uh, transfer does save them propellant. So it, yeah. it will cost them, they get a ride to orbit on a Falcon, but it, the amount of propellant they need to expend on their spacecraft, they can go into lunar orbit and they don't need as big of tanks. Well, but, now, but remember though, that what's happening is, is the energy is still being spent. So there's a lot of talk about BLTs and WSBs being energy efficient. The same amount of energy really is being spent. Uh, it just depends on who's doing it. So in, in, a, in a BLT, the, the rocket, the launch vehicle throws you high. And then your spacecraft doesn't have to do that. And you save energy up there when you come back to the moon because the solar perturbations and the rockets throwing you high has saved you that. But, you know, somebody had to spend that energy. And if you were in low Earth orbit with your spacecraft and fuel and didn't have the rocket doing it for you, 
you wouldn't do the BLT. Well, well and and so and that's what's funny about Capstone is we were you know supporting the photon side of Capstone. We're on the electron photon team, right? Right. We're doing these large, you know, thousand meter per second maneuvers. This is in no way a low energy trajectory. Right. Doing you know six pretty decent maneuvers. Um, super exciting doing them almost like every 12 hours or so. And the press is saying, oh, going on a low energy trajectory. And like, these are some <laughs> of the biggest maneuvers we've ever planned. <laughs> you know, right. but then when we, when we dropped off capstone, you know, we did the TLI, ejected them. They did the low energy part because they were a smaller satellite. They didn't have the tanks that the photon had. So it's a, like Mike said, they're, Someone pays for the energy, but is it on the launch side or is it on your satellite side? Well, it's different these days, right? Because if you're sure, if you're if you're designing your own moon mission that includes designing the payload and the rocket, you would make different choices. But we're not in that world today where you're buying. That's why I think you should call the photon a tug. People talk about tugs all the time. Well, what happened? This thing had capstone on it, came off a rocket, an electron. Yes, it's part of the rocket, but it's it's its own satellite. It was a tug. and, and like you said, you know, there's a different ways to slice it. So in the beginning of, of Capstone, Advanced Space won the SBIR Phase 3 to build the spacecraft. And so they had to design for a small CubeSat. Well, the small CubeSat doesn't have the Delta V to get out of low Earth orbit all the way to the moon. So they said, hey, this is how big we are. Someone's going to put us on a BLT and our small spacecraft with the propellant it has on it can capture into the NRHO, which is actually a really nice trajectory to get into from a BLT because that doesn't take much energy to capture. You're coming in with low energy. So those two things match up nicely. But now someone on a rocket has to come and say, how are we going to put all that energy into that thing? And so in this case, you know, Photon did that and did all that. But then when Photon was done, you know, it still had a bunch of fuel in the tank. So Photon could have done a whole bunch more. And, you know, and so you ask, well, okay, if we were designing this from scratch, you know, what is there other ways we could have solved that problem? Yeah, there are. And I don't know that they're better. They're different. You know, and, 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 and you know, the, but you could have imagined, you know, uh, I, I could imagine what the Delta V we had, you know, could the photon have gotten to the moon and, and BLT, gotten to the NRHO directly without going to a BLT? Yeah, they could have. But, you know, but that's not what, that's not how the, the history planned, mm-hmm. planned out. I mean, Advanced Space had the spacecraft, they had won that and, uh, and had a great design for it and the science they wanted to do. And then the RFP that went out was, hey, someone give us a ride to the BLT so we can go do it. No, nobody came back and said, hey, please redesign the spacecraft and, you know, do your own thing. They right. Said, Put, so we, you know, we worked with that launch service in particular. Yeah, we yeah, worked with exactly. Rocket Lab on the, on the proposal and are actually very excited about that trajectory. You know, a series right. of phasing loops to, you know, at the various perigees, just keep kicking up your apogee and, and slowly adding energy to the orbit. Yeah. Um, and and now, is that an easier thing to... Sh- so in the context of these missions that we have you know, right now, the last couple of weeks and into the next five years, a lot of them are these small commercial missions that are going to be shopping around for launches. Is getting into that BLT uh, easier to shop for than going to find a launch vehicle that's going to be able to take you directly to... Uh, lunar transport. But is there any differences from the the commercial You only need a ride to low Earth orbit. That's the thing. You get the photon to low Earth orbit, and there's a lot more rides going to low Earth orbit. From there, we can get to the BLT, but it, we can also go interplanetary with that. You know, the, the you're so close to escaping the Earth Moon system when you go on the BLT, or or the WSB as well. I should mention <laughs> that um, you could yeah. you could also you know. Um, well, uh, Rocket Labs talked about going to Venus. This is the same trajectory we can fly um, to do that. 
Yeah, not the BLT, but I mean, just the phasing that we do right, up. Right. And then, I mean, yeah. really what we're doing from our perspective is we're just, we're raising up the orbit and hitting an outgoing asymptote. And that might go on to a BLT or it could go to Venus or Mars. And of course, the energies would be different and the directions we're flying would be different. But getting on a BLT, you know, for the mission we did on Capstone, you know, what happened was Advanced Space had their spacecraft. They did all the design for the BLTs that they wanted and gave us days and days of, of trajectory, you know, 40, 50 days at a time of trajectories that we, and, but on each of those days, what they gave us was, you know, at this time you hit, you know, this energy, your perigee is here and the right ascension of the node is here. And so on each of our days, we had a target to hit. Now, if we were going to Mars, we'd have exactly the same thing. You know, when JPL does a Mars mission, they have a launch period. They have, you know, asymptote conditions on each day and, and each hour even, you know, that, that you're trying to hit. So th so hitting the BLT is no different than that. There's a direction and an energy in space. You're going to do that. When you want to hit a BLT, there's trajectories to the moon where that makes sense. And, and depending on the size of your spacecraft and what the rocket can do. I mean, if you've got a rocket with a whole bunch of extra capacity compared to the size of your spacecraft, yeah. But, I mean, you know, it, like I say, if you're starting from Earth from Earth orbit and, and you were going to take your spacecraft and propulsion from there and go to the moon, going to the BLT as opposed to going direct, it's really, it's a wash. It's really close. And, and then, you know, being as close as it is, I think the BLT wins out just like by percentage point or something. But you spent three months in orbit getting there, and that's more complicated. And you got to pay people to sit around and do that, and and so you know those are those. There's no you know right answer. I mean, yeah, it's the, all trades the, at the end of the day. It's yeah, all and, trade. it depends. Yeah. And, and so like on the on the Kari mission, for example, when we started that off, you know, we thought that trajectory was going to look a lot like Laddie. We were going to have three and a half phase and loops and go to the moon and go into lunar orbit. Um, but as the spacecraft design, you know, uh, progressed, as all spacecraft designs do, it got heavier. And at some point, it was too heavy to do a direct, and, and and the tanks were ordered, and the things were ordered, and it was too heavy. And so they're like, oh, we're on a Falcon 9. The Falcon 9, if it doesn't have the extra payload on there, actually can kick us to a BLT. That's going to save us, you know, uh, you know, 150 meters per second when we capture at the moon. Now we can get into moon, you know, so that just kind of kicked us over the boundary mm -hmm. so we could get into well, orbit there. But And that is, that's the other cool thing about the, the BLT, is you can capture with a lot less delta V. You don't have to do all 300 meters per second all at once. You know, there are BLTs where you can capture, you can come in with a solar electric propulsion. Right. So, so you, um, Anthony, so you trading, said trade uh, studies. Yeah. It, it might yeah. be a wash on the front end, but on the back end, actually arriving at the moon, you're, you're saving there. Yeah. Um, well, and, and like uh, you're saying, uh, if solar electric, like you, you couldn't, some, some of these things are going to be limited by how long you need to do a burn to get into an orbit, yeah. not necessarily the actual number you know, meters a second number that you need exactly. to available. It's and, like, and can it can I even also, do this with the performance I have? And, yeah. and it can be, you know, when, when you have a spacecraft the size of what, what Capstone is, now you got to go look and, you know, what propulsion systems are available because you don't have an infinite choice of, of vendors and different if infinite choices of performance. So, you know, this, the folks at Stellar had a, a system that would work for that within the Delta V range of, of what they wanted to do coming in from a BLT into the NRHO. So that worked perfectly. But if, if you don't have, you know, if you, if you want to come in and you need to capture at 600 meters per second, and there's no vendor for that. Well, now you got to design your own system and you know, all that gets into, comes into play. So there's, there's always trades, you know, of what things exist and what things don't and what the vendors are and then what your spacecraft looks like. And it's not, you know, a, a perfect, um, oh, pick the great, pick, the, this is the best orbit because, you know, yeah. it saves you Delta V. Nah, it's yeah, and the communications way. too, you're about, the BLT, you're about, you have to go about three times farther away than the moon um, and then come back. So unfortunately, there's an inverse square law in there that 
tends to bite the communications folks. Yeah, your dishes <laughs> got to be bigger, and you know, yeah. the the, 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 the dishes that you use between the Earth and the Moon are on the hairy edge of you know. DSM, of course, can do it because they got their big you know thirty four meter dishes or whatever it is, but then you got to pay for that. And then if you're using a commercial thing like, you know, SSC, they've got, you know, 13 meter dishes or things that are smaller. And so the moon is kind of the hairy edge of that. You get out to the, you know, 1.5 million kilometers, starting to get tough without, you know, DSN sized dishes. So it's not impossible. And those things are kind of coming along and, and that is, as, as we go forward, but um, you know, there's always hard it's considerations like with yeah. it's everything, right? Cause you got to, Buy your launch, and uh, so John, you mentioned a couple minutes ago. Like in some cases, it's easier to get to BLT from a low Earth orbit, um, and and to me that makes me think of you know some of these lunar missions are going on rideshare flights. They're trying to get you know the cheapest available launch slot on a SpaceX rideshare or something. Um, is that both for like the lower inclination low Earth orbits and sun synchronous orbit? Is that is there really a difference there, or uh, would that be an option as well? I'm just thinking about like, no, you, you can, know, you can bet, find a $2 million launch slot, you better take it. If you, well, get, you know. The cool thing is the moon is far enough away that you can come out of pretty much any inclination at the Earth and still go into the orbit you want around the moon. So it's that's kind of cool. It's like, but the, the, you can imagine throwing a baseball at the moon. You can throw it over the top or to the, to the left or to the right. So... So a sun sink is fine, but then someone has to do this big, you know, three kilometer per second burn out of Leo. Is right. that the tug or is that the upper stage? All these rockets those, those have different just, capabilities. It's your spacecraft. So, yeah, I mean, if you have a small spacecraft and want to get out of Leo and go to the moon, okay, your spacecraft just got a whole lot bigger, you know. And, well, and you saw pictures of, you know, capstone compared to photon photon was a great big thing with a bunch of tanks on it It was all fuel and capstone the little guy right so you know there was a whole bunch of stuff that we had to do to the whole bunch of energy we had to spend to get that out of there and you know if you're if you're good doing to a ride share on like a sun synchronous orbit well you know you're likely not building your spacecraft big enough to do that if you want the upper stage to do it well that's kind of complicated now because the upper stage has got to go up let's say you're on a falcon 9 that's that's putting starlinks up well so it's got to go up it's got to kick off all the starlinks get them out of the way, and then it's got to turn and relight with you on there and put you up in a really high-energy you know, thing on the way to the moon, and it has to have the fuel left to do that after it's kicked off the Starlinks and all the things it's going to do, and you have to be lined up the right way. And so part of the – one of the things that was interesting about – Photon was photon could survive for you know five or six days. A normal upper stage, you know, on a, the the Falcon Nine you know, second stage, it can't survive for days. It can be there for a couple hours, and the batteries run out because it's not built as a spacecraft. So, so that's harder, and 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 you won't, you know, you aren't necessarily going to get things lined up like on on uh, on the Space IL mission. Um, the main payload there was a Maxar spacecraft that was going to Geo, and and the Geo transfer. You know, in order for them to work, in order for that to work for the moon, the Space IL folks had to be able to, to request a particular alignment of that orbit. And that was the first time anybody had done that. And we had been trying for years, all the way back to Google XPRIZE things and back to Blastoff and that, to find geosynchronous payloads that would consent to that. You know, in, in theory, they can. And or the orbital mechanics doesn't keep them from doing it, but there's often things about geometry and where they want to be with respect to the sun when they're firing their motors at apogee and, you know, all kinds of things that they've historically done that they might not want to do or might not be able to right. support on their spacecraft. Or, you know, so so that was a really, you know, a hard sell. And, and the Space AL folks worked with Space Flight Services and Space Flight Inc. and, 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 uh, and Maxar to, to make that happen. But that was, you know, just logistically the planning of that and getting Maxar to okay it was was an amazing achievement because that just hadn't been done 
but you can do it. I mean, the orbital mechanics allow you to do it, but you know, someone has to want to do it. You got to have human the mechanics to don't necessarily. Yeah, yeah right. right. Want their, yeah. I mean, especially in the case of geosatellites, if these, you know, there's entire companies doing their financial projections on when that satellite's going to come online, and that's right. Yep. Say, you know, oh, sure, we'll take you. Well, it's going to take an extra week for you to get to your slots. Like, no, nah, I can't do that because I'm going to miss my earnings call. Well, um, exactly. and, and it can also be, That's hey, right. you know, we've been flying geospacecraft for 30 years. We always do it this way. We don't really want to change that because, <laughs> you know, we, you know, we, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things you, you find out when you go from folks that have done geos to, to doing these, these lunar missions or whatever, they got an exact way of doing it. And it's all just cookie cutter because it's all the same. And lunar missions are, you know, they're all different. <laughs> they're, they're, we're not doing them often enough where we've gotten to that spot where everyone's, you know, where there's some kind That'll of. That'll be a good data. Yeah, it will be. Well, but it's, not, it, yeah, is it yeah. as far off as we might think, right? I'm I'm curious how you two are looking at the the clips situation at the moment. There's some. I, I just did a show recently about you know Mastin's having some trouble right now, and there's a lot of predictable payload delays on the first couple landers going off. But uh, John, I don't know if you have any insight from like that. You know, the the 90s there when you were let's do a moon mission again for the first time in you know 20 years or whatever it was at the time. Okay. Um, well, this feels like a new era to some extent, but do you do you think there's a reason that it will go different this time and it will be a much more uh, flourishing market than it was last time? Well, so so first of all, um, when I started on Clementine, that was an orbiter, right? And and um, I wish on the Clips program they had said that you had to do an orbiter before you do a lander because <laughs> orbiters are actually simpler, but that's a big part of getting there on how to do that. Um, the lander puts all these other constraints and it's very specific to which landing site you're going. So the different clips teams actually have very different things, you know, where they're going to put the solar panels, if they're near the equator, if they're, you know, near the pole, all sorts of stuff, all these different constraints on it. But the, the other thing is, is that we now have uh, commercial tracking, you don't need DSN, right? So we've used SSC on Bearsheet. We use them on IBEX. We actually had them on Laddie. We use both DSN and SSC on Laddie. So now you have a, a commercial ground infrastructure. The software that used to be only at, at the government's is now available commercially, um, as we mentioned. So that's a new enabling technology. You have a whole bunch of um, commercial radios now. So that's coming down in price. So there's these deep space commercial radios. So everything's lining up so that it can be different. The question then is, is there enough revenue? Is the market there really to do it commercially? And uh, it's exciting to watch them try to, to get these commercial customers in addition to the NASA, because the NASA doesn't pay for the whole thing. But that's the whole question is, can, can we get enough um, of a market? Is there really enough of an economic demand to keep the to keep it going, you know, commercial lunar pay payloads. Well, and, and if I look back at like, you know, the analog is, you know, resupply of space station and the commercial, what they did with SpaceX and, and, uh, and orbital and, and, uh, and the other folks that, you know, what's it, uh, Kistler that started on that and, and didn't finish, you know, did they require those folks to fund, you know, their development with commercial things like they're requiring on, on, on the, on the close missions. And, and, um, I don't think they did. And I think, you know, there's, there's an argument to be made that, you know, especially with like the Maston thing happening recently that, that maybe, you know, we kind of got a little bit ahead of ourselves here that, that and, and the other thing that I'm seeing, and this is something that I saw that really, uh, hamstrung the, the Google X prize teams is that there was a thought there when the Google X prize thing came out that these teams were somehow going to be able to come up with a launch. 
And that just didn't turn out to be true. That that was just a bridge too far for all of those teams. Bereshit ended up being able to do it, but you know they had a fun a funding source, a guy that had a lot of money and could afford to do that. But the other teams just absolutely couldn't get that. Yeah, I mean, we they, had you know, supported several of the other teams. That was just a huge. I mean, even with the Falcon Nine coming in, and, and which was kind of at the end of the that coming in and being you know uh, as as good as it is and repeatable as it is, and the price coming down, that was sort of at the end of the Google X price stuff. But even still, you know. If you were thinking $60 million a pop, the teams just didn't have that. And so there was a strong argument to be made, and I, I would make it and have for years, that if the, 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 maybe the better way to go was you know, to have funded, you know, bought a launch, said, okay, NASA, I've just bought a Falcon 9, and you know, in September of whatever year, you know, I'm going to put four landers on this, and you know, if you're ready, your lander goes, and, and we're providing the launch, and then we fund you guys to, to, to make the launch, to make the, the lander, um, and that's that's not how they did it, and the teams are out trying to get their their you know, and, their and launches themselves. the launch vehicle folks, they you know only have so many rockets to sell, right? So they're trying to figure out which team is real. So it's it's right. both on both sides. It's you know chicken and egg of do we have enough money to raise it, and will you trust us to hold the spot? So right. and, and, that you know, launch is super hard. Well, you look at you know Astrobotic has got a deal from Vulcan where they're getting a you know getting a really cheap rate because they're the first to fly on Vulcan. But you know that they won't get that rate the second time, right? Yeah. And 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 then you know Intuitive Machines is is flying on a Falcon Nine, but they're trying to sell off extra capacity that yeah, they have on the, the Falcon other, Nine the to somebody slots else. On the launch. Yeah, to get their price down, and and that's you know that's a challenge for them to do that. I mean, that may be the way to go, but you know, we'll, we'll see that when they fly and if they can, if they can, you know, not lose their shirt by doing it. And, you know, Maston faced that same thing. You know, they had, they came in and bid at whatever it was, 70 million or something for, but I mean, how, how do you bid at 70 million when your launch cost is 60? So, I mean, it's, you know, th- that's a real challenge. And, and, um, and I think they had ideas about, you know, trying to bring in money from outside and they all have that idea, but if that doesn't come through, you're just yeah, way and the water as you and, mentioned, and, a big part of the success of Airsheet, one of the only the only Google Lunax team, you know, to fly, was they made a business negotiation with Maxar. You know that that yeah. had nothing to do with rockets or landers or anything. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, they got it. They got a launch, but they had to, you know, they had to negotiate that, and then they also had to get their spacecraft paid for, and they had SSC, and they had a pot of money, and um, and they and they brought in, um, you know, the the uh, IAI folks, uh, the you know the that had a long history of yeah. flying stuff in Israel. So, you know, they had a different setup. But um, the, I think Clips teams are f- kind of facing that same dilemma that, you know, they got to go find a ride somehow, and that's a huge hurdle. And yeah. then they got to build up a team from scratch, and then they got to go try to find, you know, other people that want to go to the moon for commercial reasons. Yeah. And I don't know that that's quite there yet. But, you know, yeah, you I'm really excited, coming, though. But, like you mentioned, Cots, I'm really excited that NASA is looking to commercial providers rather than them right. doing it. That part of it is, I think, real brilliant. The question is the logistics on on launch vehicles just aren't quite ubiquitous yet. So, Well, if you two ever needed to fund a launch, I feel like you could do it by selling your domain name because your domain name is SEE.com. <laughs> and I feel like, yeah. I don't know what domains are going for these days, but I feel like you could probably get between six and eight digits for that because uh, it's a commonword.com three letters i was like oh that's their domain yeah. name Jeez. well when you when you have a chance <laughs> go on to the stock exchange and see who the symbol who has the sce symbol 
<laughs> and, uh, and, is it someone and, that you're getting emails from frequently or <laughs> I don't know frequently, but we've heard from them and uh it's actually a company called sealed air that that's the the that owns the trademark for bubble wrap and uh, they're a packaging company but their their stock symbol is see and i think they'd like to have our domain yeah. But Apple we're, has we're that show. There's a lot of people yeah, with a lot yeah, of cash exactly, out there. So exactly. We, we, we know what your rebrand all our swag. Uh, I'll tell you what. <laughs> that we, we, listen, we, for the amount of yeah. money that you'd get for it, you could rebrand all your swag, no <laughs> yeah, problem. We, I'll tell you what. There's other stories behind us. We've we've had that. We got that domain for fifty bucks and ninety five. And I I, I I just told my buddy Tom Svitek, who was at Orbital at the time, and he walked across the street and just bought it, and it was nothing. And, and we didn't think about that at the time because we'd have bought Coke.com or whatever too, right? <laughs> but but, uh, but no, we got it. We we have had offers on it it's actually the domain has actually been stolen from me twice um by hackers and whatever and i've had to get it back and wow. was successful both times but um yeah it's a, it's a it, story for a, another day because yeah, that sounds, yeah, that sounds yeah, amazing it yeah, it <laughs> well thank you both so much uh, is there anything else that you would I, I mentioned i'll put in the show notes a link uh you've got uh some blog posts that are really awesome reads with a lot of uh visualizations of these orbits as well and different reference frames um very helpful if you're listening to us talk about all these orbits and you're like, I don't understand what's going on. Their visualizations will help immensely. So I'll put that on there. Is there anything else that yeah. people should uh, yeah, check just out say, and follow along? Yeah, I'd say, you know, go to our website. Um, if people have questions or whatever, you know, send us questions. Our, our you know, there's an info uh, at SCE.com, information at SCE.com on there. If you send that, we'll get it. Um, I'm happy to talk to people. You know, one of the things I like to do, and I, I've been successful doing for several people now is People will call me up and say, "Hey, you know, how do I how do I get a job, or how do I get into the business?" And and you know, we have a decent network of people. So if um, if I can help people get jobs or kind of give them advice on stuff, I'd like to do that. It, it's you know, I had a lot of that help me when, and we all did. You know, people that mentored us and helped us get into the business. So if we can do that, um, you know, anybody you know has ideas or, or wants to you know brainstorm with us, you know, get a hold of me and um, and and we'll uh, you know and I'll chat with you. So I'm n- never afraid to do that, and, and it's actually quite rewarding so you know we we do coaching and training and stuff for our for our customers but you know we'll we try to help people out as well that, that are trying to get into the business so that's a that's a big point of, of it yeah we've been in way too many meetings where we say we wished we had like a 10 minute phone call with you two years ago right. you know <laughs> yeah because right. right. there's a lot of that's issues right. so awesome thank you both for hanging out this has been amazing you bet. Been real fun thanks anthony Thanks again to Mike and John for coming on the show. It was an awesome conversation. We got uh, pretty nerdy. So as I mentioned when talking with them, uh, there's a blog post that talks about the trajectory that uh, Capstone and Photon took as part of their launch and uh, trajectory towards the moon. Um, You should definitely read it because there's a lot of good diagrams in there as well of exactly what kind of phasing orbits they're talking about, the transfer orbits they're talking about. Uh, I think it's really helpful to get your head around what's going on with that kind of mission, and it'll make a lot of that uh, click in your brain if it's not something that's clicking as we're describing it uh, through words alone. So definitely check that out. That's in the show notes over at MainEngineCutoff.com. Uh, you can get to there. And uh, other than that, thank you so much to everyone out there who supports Main Engine Cutoff over at MainEngineCutoff.com slash support. There are 853 of you supporting this show every single month. I'm so thankful for that. And there are 42 executive producers of this podcast. Thanks to Simon, Lauren, Chris, Pat, Matt, George, Ryan, Donald, Lee, Chris, Warren, Bob, Russell, Moritz, Joel, Jan, David, Eunice, Rob, Tim Dodd, David Ashnot, Frank, Julian and Lars from Agile Space, Matt, the Astrogators at SEE. There they are. 
Chris, Aegis Trade Law, Fred, Haymonth, Dawn, Aerospace, Andrew, Harrison, Benjamin, Small Spark, Space Systems, and seven anonymous executive producers. Thank you all once again. If you want to help join that crew, help make this show possible. And if you want to get Miko headlines in your life, it's an entire other podcast I do every single week. I run through all the stories in the industry that are worth hearing about. Uh, important point on worth hearing about because sometimes things are getting left out because they're just not worth hearing about. But uh, I run through all the stories that you need to know about, giving my thoughts on them. And uh, it's a great way to stay up on Space News, support the show, and make sure more of this happens. Uh, But otherwise, thanks again to everyone who does support. And until next time, I will talk to you soon.